conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back, as is Katie Schaefer. We're talking all about Captain Marvel today. Figured we would get this one out fairly quickly for you since, for once, I saw this movie in a timely manner. I went to see it Friday morning. I know, Katie, you saw it even earlier with a lovely press screening. I did, and it was amazing. Yeah, so before we dive into the movie, I want to touch on some of the Captain Marvel comics and Carol Danvers' history in general. So if you don't want any of the comics spoiled for you, go ahead and skip ahead to the casting portion of this episode, which will be next. And, you know, as someone who subscribes to Marvel Unlimited, I've had a chance to really start diving into the backlog of Marvel comics in general. And while I feel like I've barely made a teeny tiny dent in that because there's over... 25,000 comics on the service now. I've maybe read a few hundred. (laughs) And, you know, I have been able to go back and read through some of the recent Captain Marvel runs. I started with the 2012 one, and then I read the next run after that, both of which were written by Kelly Sue DeConnick. But before that, Carol Danvers was actually Miss Marvel. And she got her powers through a slightly different way than the movie shows because in the comics history Captain Marvel is a man and Carol Danvers just happens to be in the wrong place at kind of the right time she's trying to help him out and then there is this big explosion which they kept that similar for the movie which I liked but it's just one of those things where it's like Okay, you know, I see why they changed this for the movie, but I highly recommend going back and checking out some of those comic book runs, especially the Kelly Sue DeConnick ones for anyone who hasn't done so. And Katie, I know you started going through those. How are you liking them so far? Oh, they're really fun. I like the art design. I like the story. I am enjoying the character development. Like it's it's been a, a fun read for me. Yeah, that's awesome to hear because I know a lot of people who dive into the MCU movies haven't necessarily read a ton of the comics because for the most part until recently you weren't getting the really heavy hitting characters from Marvel in these movies you know Spider-Man was just a recent addition within the last few years and that's you know arguably Marvel's biggest character right there so you have all of these things where they had to start out with these characters people might not have been quite as familiar with and work their way through. And even Captain Marvel might not be as familiar of a character for a lot of people who have only been interested in the movies. Right, exactly. And I'm so excited to have them moving on to this even more, let's call them obscure characters, characters that people who don't read the comics or have more than a passing familiarity are at all aware of because that's the stuff that's really going to be interesting and that they're going to be allowed to play with so much more like they did with this character. Yeah, plus introducing more of these characters from the comics allows them to expand the universe in an even bigger way like they started to do with Guardians of the Galaxy. There's a lot that goes into the Captain Marvel comics that we just haven't really touched on in the movies because the Marvel universe is so expansive. And 
I think with the upcoming movies that they have planned, you know, the Eternals and everything like that, we're really going to get into more of the actual universe instead of just what happens on Earth. And that is something they've started doing. But I think, you know, if anyone checks out these comics, you'll have a deeper understanding of the kind of direction that Marvel could possibly go in. And since they haven't announced any of the movies, really, we have no idea (laughs) what direction they're actually going to go in. Right. And I kind of thought I knew what was going to the direction they were going to take with this one. And then I watched it and was like, oh, well, this is not what I was (laughs) expecting. And I, for one, am really excited for them to expand into the more cosmic side of Marvel. I think that will be it it allows so much more scope for the different kinds of storylines they can tell. You know, when you have Iron Man and Captain America and even Thor to a certain extent, like you get very similar stories Whereas in the cosmic side, you know, look, the two Guardians of the Galaxy movies, they are so different and have different ways of telling the story and explore these way out there sci-fi ideas. And that is so much more interesting than, you know, superhero discovers themselves, meets bad guy, fights bad guy, has a hard time, then wins. Yay, it's we're back to square one again. Yeah, I think we can go ahead and dive on into the movie, though. I just wanted to get that little bit of the comics in there since it might interest some people. But as far as the casting goes, I think they did a pretty nice job with this movie. You know, obviously Samuel L. Jackson and Clark Gregg have been staples in the MCU for quite some time now. So to see them, it was absolutely no surprise. But the de-aging effects were wonderful on both of them. And then you have Brie as Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers, Veers, whatever name you want to call her. Yes. And she is perfect in this role for me. I thought she has this level of confidence and ability that is so perfect for the kind of character that she's playing. And it feels like... We don't watch her get that. She already has that when we meet her, this level of confidence in herself and knowing her own worth. And then they allow her to just really stretch that in a way that a lot of times they haven't allowed their female characters to do. So I was so pleased to see Brie Larson just absolutely rock it in this film. Based on what I've read from the comics, I think she was a little more chipper than I was expecting. So it threw me off a little bit but as the movie continues you're like okay this is sort of just her way of dealing with everything that's happened to her and you know having it be an exact translation from the comics to the big screen almost never happens we've seen marvel tweak some of these stories so that they play better on the screen basically you know killing captain america at the end of civil war would not have gone over well Although I think some fans were kind of expecting that to happen and then were a little upset when it didn't. But I think overall what we're getting out of, you know, Infinity War and Endgame, that is something that people I think are warming up to more. Right. And that is something that's pushing the boundaries of how we tell stories in that are translated from a comics medium. And I think this movie continued with that stretching like you know how avengers uh infinity war is 
you've read a lot of comics, so I know you know that experience of reading the final one in this big, long, twisting tale like Civil War, where, and then you have like this, you know, six issue edition that's about everything coming together. And that's Infinity War to a T. They had that aspect of it just perfect. And then this is like kind of the next, it's a bridge between the two that allows us to have this whole new element introduced to the final, you know, to end game. And I was like, oh, this is a very interesting way to do this because it twists together an origin story with something else that's going on and also provides this very big background into the galaxy, yeah. the cosmic side of things. And so... I thought they did such a great job with that aspect of blending that in blending this story into how they're telling these Marvel universe extravaganzas. This movie did a very nice job with its supporting cast as well. You have Ben Mendelsohn, Jude Law, Annette Benning, Lashana Lynch, and those four kind of round out the main people we see, along with Akira Akbar, who plays the daughter of Maria. So you have this history with a lot of these characters. You know, Captain Marvel has a very specific history with Jan Rog, played by Jude Law. Maria Rambo was her best friend, and she was around a lot when Monica was younger. And then you have Captain Marvel, who no one knew was Captain Marvel really at the time, at least out of the people in this movie. So you have this big reveal happening along the way, and it kind of throws out everything Carol thought she knew. She was like, you know, I keep getting pieces here and there. And I think that's something that Brie played along with really well, the whole getting glimpses and trying to piece together what had happened, but then not really getting that full picture until she goes and sees these people. Right. And then it's almost like their relationships, like Lashana Lynch, who plays her, her bestie Maria, like there's a little bit of hesitancy, you know, when they first meet, but then the two of them are able to like build this rapport so quickly. And I have to say, like, I was fascinated with Lashana Lynch's character and I was so happy when it's not just this, oh, here's five minutes with this lady. It's like, oh, we get to see her be a badass too. And like, she is such an interesting person. And as she, uh, has she brought this character to life, felt so authentic, especially her and, uh, Carol's relationship. That was such a, even though we only get a little bit of it, the two of them are able to really cement that friendship in the audience's mind from their first scene together. It's almost like you can tell they did miss some beats, but once they sat down and had a conversation, things pretty quickly got back to, I wouldn't say normal for them necessarily because of what Carol can do now. It's like, oh, okay, that's a thing. But it was as normal as one could reasonably expect from her being gone that long. And a lot of the casting in this just felt so right. Even the changes they did make with Captain Marvel being a woman in this and not in the comics. But in the comics, too, there is a similar character to Maria. But the daughter in the comics, her name is Kit. 
and she basically looks like a mini Captain Marvel, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes kind of thing, and looks just like a small version of Captain Marvel is always running around in her clothes and everything like that, which that's fun in the comics. But I think for this, it didn't really matter to me that the girl didn't look just like Captain Marvel. That wasn't really the point I think they were trying to make in the comics with the character either. So it was nice to see that relationship still remain similar to the one in the comics because for me I was like okay you know I can see these parallels that they're making even if they aren't the exact same characters right right exactly and the little girl just sells it like she you know having been a little girl that age at one time in my life like I can imagine how utterly exciting it would be to have this older woman that you look up to and then she comes back and she has all these powers and she still thinks you're worth something and still loves you the same way and still cares about you and that was a really powerful scene to watch and I imagine it would be even more powerful for little girls watching it and to see it you know Akira just really get into the role felt so authentic and that was a joy to watch at some points. Yeah, she just seemed excited about everything, which I think is the way a lot of young girls will feel going into this movie. So she's a pretty accurate representation of how people in real life will feel about seeing this and seeing Captain Marvel on the screen and everything like that. But I think we can dive into the story a little more now, which I think we'll be getting into a lot more spoiler territory now. And hopefully we didn't really spoil too much with the casting. I will put a note in the show notes for purposes of me forgetting to say that earlier. But I think this story, as far as origin stories go, it was done pretty well because it's not strictly an origin story in the sense that it only takes place over one time period and we see everything leading up to her getting her powers. They mix in the present and the past and because of this memory loss, it gives them a little bit of a u- unique way to tell the story. Right. And that is a really challenging thing to do, to mix in multiple timelines into your story and still have it play out correctly and reveal the information slowly enough that keeps you interested without, you know, just, oh, now we know the end or taking too long. And then the end comes and by then you've stopped caring. Like I thought they kind of gave it out at a good pace. I know that there were Like the second act is a lot, though. There's a lot of that in the second act. But if you don't have that information given out to you, then by the time we hit the third act, when things are just kicked into high gear and there's no time for more storytelling, we have to. Now we have climbed to the top of the roller coaster and now we are going to go on the ride, is kind of how it felt to me. And there's a lot of prep for that, but it felt like for the second Captain Marvel movie, we won't need any of that. That will be its own its own playing out of a story and there won't be any big, there won't be need to be such a big buildup of information. Right. The first two acts were really about the setup. And then the third act was when you really dive into the action aspect of the film. And I don't think they overdid the action too much in this, which was nice because you could have totally just had Captain Marvel going all out 
for you know two hours and having all of these crazy action scenes but the fact that they grounded her helped this origin story move at a nicer pace because there are those action movies where it feels like the entire movie is just action and you get no real story and you know those are fine if you want to go just enjoy some action yep you know that's that's fine Fine. (laughs) but with marvel they know that they have to at least tell enough of the story to get people coming back to see this character and obviously anyone who watched infinity war is probably going to go see endgame already and we can talk more a little later about how this movie sort of fits into the MCU as a whole, because I think with it taking place in the 90s, and I don't know why I said present day, but I mean present day for the movie, which was the 90s. And then right. they went into the past right. from there. So, you know, a little, little bit different than present day MCU, so to speak. And I think, you know, one, they also nailed the tone of the 90s. With the band shirts, the Samuel L. Jackson look, and... The flannels. Yes. I love those flannels. (laughs) Yeah, the music. God, that soundtrack, though, is so good. And they had just such a great moment of the the needle drop beats, and it all so tied together really, really well. And that was so fun. Like, just the moments where you're like... (gasps) I was so happy when No Doubt came on. Yep, me too. That moment I was like, oh my God, yes. So I think it was, oh, I love that part of it. But I did think that that playing out of how it does in the first and second act, like there's so much stuff you need to know in order for everything to work. And it's not just giving you info about Captain Marvel. It is also giving you information about how this other part of the MCU works. Yeah. And because it does that, it earns its ending and it earns that big, you know, action moment. And so that by the end you feel there's been growth and character development. And it's not just like you said, like an an all out action movie where things just keep going on and then they'll have this dramatic ending. And it's like, well, you didn't really earn that. Like, I don't feel like this character would have made it to this point already without more growth. And I felt very happy with how they did that because I was really worried about that. Like, how are we gonna, are they going to be able to tell this story in such a way that I feel she's earned this ending? And I thought they did a great job with that. They really want to be able to use the Kree and the scrolls in the future too. And you can tell that in this movie because they put such an importance on the two different groups and how they basically live and even though we're not getting these full-blown images of okay here's everything you need to know about the Kree and here's everything you need to know about the scrolls you get these tidbits throughout you know you have Talos yes. who is played by Ben Mendelsohn and he explains that you know my people were living on that planet to basically hide you know they didn't have anywhere else to go and then they were on the spaceship that captain marvell had because they were in hiding from the kree and you know carol had been taught that they were the enemy and you sort of see that change happening throughout those first two acts and then she gets to actually act upon that in the third act and like you said it's a lot But I think given the fact that this movie 
Sans credits comes in at just under two hours. I think, you know, the credits were super long because so many people work on these movies yeah. at this point. I was waiting for the yep. post credit scene and I was like, okay, okay, that there's so many visual effects artists, so many, all of them. Okay, here we go. Still some yep. more. <laughs> Every single one in the world is in this movie. Yes. And Ben Mendelsohn, good God. Good God. He's yeah. so great in this. Like this this role really gives him a chance to play so many different sides and so many different skills. And he manages to blend it all so well together. Like, and I love that we got to see him a little bit out of out of the the scrawl makeup. Right, and that was so fun. But yeah, I thought how they tell this story with you know Talos and Yonrog, Jude Law's character. How you don't see them a whole. They I don't, do they get any screen time together? I think they get a little when the Cree come on the lab. They sort of take over the yes, little space station lab right. area. And I don't know if they're necessarily talking to each other, but it's sort of like the two groups come together. That's right. In that moment. And other than that, they don't really get too much screen time, I don't think. I think a lot of it is establishing the relationship that Carol had with Jan Rog and everything that he supposedly did for her benefit and trying to make her the best version of her that she can be. And Clearly, that did not work in his favor. <laughs> right. And it's like, when he says that, there was that moment for me. I was like, well, she's the best version of herself that you want her to be, which is not the best version of herself that she right. wants to be. And those two things, like the, their few scenes together at the end of the film were so, there was so much coded language going on there of about feminism and women's place in the world and how men um, empower over a lot of women, how they view them. Like, it was just, it was really intense few minutes on screen, but they just kind of do it real delicately, real delicate, no overt, nothing overt, just if you know what you're looking for, it is right there all on screen for you. But if you don't, I don't think it's going to bother you or I mean unless you're looking forward to hate it then yeah. that's you but if you're just kind of sitting there watching it like and you're not into that side of things like it won't upset you right I think it plays out well even on just the regular you know mundane level of storytelling it's a bit of a triumphant moment for her too you know she's like all right I'm just done with you. So you can go back and here's yes. what you're going to tell them because I just blasted you oh, and God. you aren't really going to fight back yep. at this point. Right? And it was like, you know, he tries to get her to challenge him. And at that point, I was like, no, dude, she doesn't need to do this for you. And then she's just like, I don't have anything to prove to you. Why do I care what you think? You're an asshole who lied to me. <laughs> I'm just going to blast your ass. And the best part, what I was thinking is like, well, you really weren't asking her to fight and learn how to do all these things for you. You wanted to keep her, you know, so she can't use her powers because you're telling her, oh, you don't, no, no, you're not really strong if you use all the powers available to you. <laughs> like, And it, the movie just, cuts the, that argument's legs out from underneath it in such a neat and quick way. And it feels so yeah. satisfying when you watch it. I agree. And with the story as a whole, 
you have a lot of emotional beats throughout, too. When she first goes to see the Supreme Intelligence, which is this AI, and it just shows you the person you admire most and respect most, she sees this person and she's like, I have no idea who this lady is. And so she's determined to figure that out because clearly if the Supreme Intelligence would show her this person, she has to mean something. And you start seeing the wheels turning in her head, basically, from that moment forward. And she's just determined to figure these things out. And then you get right that moment where she lands on Earth and she's like, okay, here's who I am, what I can do. Here are these people who are coming to invade and find me. And then you have Nick Fury and Agent Coulson who are kind of just like, yeah, okay, whatever you say. And their disbelief is reasonable because these are still the early days of S.H.I.E.L.D. and it's clear that they aren't the big force that they later become just yet. So it's not that because she's a woman, they aren't believing her. It's because she's saying these crazy things that make no sense to them. Right. And wearing a ridiculous outfit, <laughs> yes. like, especially in the 90s. Like nowadays, like it probably wouldn't be that weird because of, you know, how cultures developed. But then it was like, what are you, what are you doing, you crazy person, you? Like, yeah. And they, they do that so well. And then they're like, oh, shit, this is real, though. And there it starts. And that is such a great way to start it with them disbelieving her until it's pretty much they get the slap in the face of truth. I will say that was a very nice use of Blockbuster, though. It was probably the best one I've ever seen. <laughs> I remember Blockbuster, and I know there's such a nostalgia for it, but I'm like, they were the worst movie store. They had the least selection for so many other yeah. ones. But it stands as so iconic right. for video stores at the time. So it was a very fun, but I didn't think the 90s stuff was too much. There was just enough of it. They were pretty subtle with it, I would say, most of the time. It was more so whenever they would show you a computer, where it was like, here's the 90s, and it was very in-your-face about it, especially yes. when they get that recording from the black box. And yes. she's like, what is it doing? And Nick Fury's just like, it's loading. And this is just like everyday life for them, yep. so they're not you know, in a rush about it or anything like that. But one of the more subtle moments just before that moment, actually, is when Monica is told to go wait outside, basically. And you just get this quick glimpse of Maria putting the headphones on her head. And then you just see the CD player right there, I think. Or yep. tape player. I'm not really sure which it was because they didn't get close enough. But I was like, oh, OK. Yeah, that's the thing you would do. And it wasn't earbuds. It was like the little black headphones with the foam pads that kind of just go sit on your ears. And I was like, yep, you know, they did a very nice job with doing that. And you have those moments where it's like, clearly they wanted to get it right. And especially the cars. I was like, yes, this is what the 90s looked like. <laughs> oh, the cars were so great. Oh, yes. It's a period piece to a certain extent. And I loved that they took that part of it seriously, that they totally buy into this is what the 90s were like, down to the clothes and the hairstyles and everything was, that was gratifying to watch. And it was also like, oh, I was that, I was probably just about that little girl's age and that time period in the 90s. So everything for me was very resonant of, oh, 
look at all this. It's so similar. I did find it funny that because they were in Los Angeles for a chunk of it, they use basically like the one metro line that we have here. It it still isn't any better. <laughs> oh, no. You're like, well, we don't need to change anything. Just make sure the, the ads look a little different. Yeah, now. and that's how it felt to me because, you know, on the East Coast, public transportation is much more heavily used, I would say, just because of the density of the populations. And in LA, it's like the subway runs for like seven blocks or something ridiculous. It's like, why do you even have a subway? Oh, and, God. You know, I personally have not really used the train all that much here. I did take it from Orange County down to San Diego somewhat recently, and it was a fine experience. It was just fine. It wasn't anything exciting. But yeah, public transportation here, it's funny how you're like, yep, that seems accurate, even though I never took public transportation in the 90s because I wasn't born until 92. So it was one of those things where I was like, yeah, this this all looks very familiar even still today for some of it. Yes, that's great. That is so great. <laughs> They're like, well, we don't need to change anything. That just pleases me to no end. It's not cool for the transport, but yeah. you know what I mean. <laughs> Speaking of the train, though, Kelly Sue DeConnick actually had a cameo in this. Oh, yes. And awesome. she was in the train station when Captain Marvel gets off and everyone's sort of just looking around at her like, what are you doing? Why do you look so weird? And she has red hair and glasses, so she kind of stood out to me. And I'm sure other comic book fans will recognize her if they've read the comics and know what she looks like, because it's kind of hard not to stand out, even with red hair in the 90s. And the fact that they also put right. the Stanley cameo on the train, too, and he's reading a Kevin Smith script. I was like, okay, that's fun. The Mallrats script? I think it was Mallrats, Yeah. It is Mallrats because he has a cameo in that movie and it's just, and that's the line he says. He just kept saying it. It's like, well, that's such perfection. He certainly did look that old in, in the 90s, but yeah. Is this the last of this of his cameos? I don't know if they have the Endgame one because I feel like Endgame has been finished filming at least for a while. And I'm curious if they sort of just could tell that his health was deteriorating, so they kind of did a bunch at once. Yeah, I think so. Because they knew along in advance for Stan. They knew. I mean, he was in his 90s, for Christ's sake. I yeah. mean, at some point soon, when you hit 90, like, you're not... You obviously aren't going to live forever. Right. And I think with this one, you know, because he was still technically old in the 90s you could get away with it a right. lot more so right. you know and i think that's why they had him cover his face a lot for that scene too right. because she kind of just pulls it back just enough for us to all know it was stanley and they probably did do a little bit of the de-aging on him not to the extent that they did with samuel L. jackson or clark Gregg, yeah. but i think you know with that technology they're able to do a lot with these movies that are set in a different time yes they are and it it works for the most part samuel l jackson looks really bizarre at first <laughs> to me but then i was like as you get into the movie it just kind of faded into the background for the most part as we all know what sam jackson looked like then so it's a lot harder you know that would have been like pulp fiction era sam right. jackson so and i will say he still moves like an old man <laughs> <laughs> he's well, he never runs 
he kind of jogs a little bit, and but he never yeah. all out runs or anything like that. And he gets real winded going up a set of stairs, and like it was very cute. It was like, oh, I know there's actually just the regular old Sam Jackson under there. Yeah, plus you have the fact that you can look back at what he looked like in the 90s. So they had to do a good job with that. And, you know, Clark Gregg didn't look too terribly different. I think he just no. had a little more hair, whereas, you know, Sam Yoel Jackson, he's been bald for as long as I can remember, basically. <laughs> so like since the late 90s, probably. So to see him with hair, I was like, oh, OK. All right. I can see this. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very strange at some time at some points. But Again, like, it's been a long time since we saw Sam Jackson regularly than as he looked in the 90s. So unless you're watching a lot of his old classic films, like, it's easy to buy into it. It's not that big of a difference. So, and he still has his regular voice and he's still, he's still the same character, which I loved. It's, it's still Samuel L. Jackson, just a little less informed about the world, or it's still Nick Fury, excuse me, but just a little less informed about the realities of the world. Right. I know you rated this movie very highly. You gave it a nine out of 10 in your review, which I will link to. I gave it a three and a half out of five on my first impression. And I think part of that is because of how much I know from the comics with this character. And like I said, she was a bit more chipper in this than I was sort of expecting. And I wouldn't say, you know, a 7 out of 10 is horrible by any means. I think if I watched this again, I might like it a little more. But a couple of my gripes with it were that it does follow so much of the Marvel formula. I think it does hold it back a little bit. And, you know, it's hard with origin stories, especially this late in the game for Marvel. You're like, okay, I understand why we have to have this origin story. But at the same time, you right. want something a little more out of it. And I think some of the humor was a little too much for me. I was like, okay, we get it. He really likes Goose, you know? <laughs> yes. And maybe yes. that's because I'm not a cat person, even though the cat is not a cat. Right. It's a Florkin. And that is something that is consistent with the comics. The cat has a different name in the comics, but otherwise the whole Florkin thing and everything like that is the same. And they did have to shoehorn a couple things in here that didn't feel quite as natural to the story. I know I've seen other people talking about the Tesseract and it's like, okay, we kind of needed an origin for that. So that got its origin too. And other than that, you're like, oh, okay, well that happened. And obviously with us seeing the pager at the end of Infinity War, it's not quite a pager, but we, you know, we get that put in this movie too, because it's like, oh, okay, now we have to explain that. But I feel like they didn't really have to. Yeah. They kind of were like, well, we need to have a little bit more to tie it into the universe. It felt at times it felt like that's why they included some stuff. Yeah. And that almost felt unnecessary. You know, it's like, I don't know that I really needed that part of it, especially the final, um, the final end credit sequence. Like, I know we needed to yeah. find out, but it felt like. I sat through 15 minutes of, of, of thing for this. This is not... For the Tesseract, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, like, switch it around. Switch it around. Should have been the other way around so that that final thing, after you wait forever through the credits, it feels worth it. Yeah, that would have made more sense to me, too, because it's like the mid credit scene would have been the little teaser, and then you get the big scene at the very end there. And 
if we want to quickly discuss the mid-credits scene, it ties directly into Endgame, which, no surprise, given that he did page Captain Marvel with his fancy, but not so fancy, pager. (laughs) Right. Yes, I thought that was... I was really, really happy to see that. And it felt similar to, uh, like, Ant-Man and the Wasps. Yeah. Thing where it, it adds to it. And you're like, oh, yeah, great. This It makes you more excited for what's coming with Endgame, especially because this is the last one that's coming out before Endgame. You know, we have a month, like, six weeks before Endgame is out, I think. Yeah, roughly. Yeah. So it's like, oh, God. Oh, God. It makes it feel more... It's moved us along just a little bit further up that path towards the final release of and the end of this kind of this storyline, essentially. Yeah, some of the gripes that I've seen with the mid credit scene is the fact that it's possibly just a clip from Endgame. And you're like, oh, OK, well, you know, we're not really surprised that she shows up because that's implied in Infinity War. So right. then people are speculating, OK, well, when in the movie does she show up then? Does she show up during the first act? Because Endgame is reportedly going to be about three hours long, which Uh, is ridiculous. Yeah, but in in more ways than one. It's like good ridiculous and bad ridiculous at the same time. Yep, exactly. And so that's a legit question. When is this actually going to happen? Because you don't want Captain Marvel just showing up at the tail end of Endgame. Yeah, And I think it has to be earlier in the film because otherwise, you know, we went through this entire origin story just to have her pop up for like 10 minutes or something. I don't think that would fly with a lot of fans because they did so much build up to how she's going to help defeat Thanos, hopefully. Right. And I think I I don't think that she'll show up. I think she'll probably show up halfway through the first uh, first arc of the story. Or the first set of plot points. That's when we'll see her. Because we're still going to have to have her bringing everybody together and then them figuring out what's going to happen and how they're going to defeat Thanos and all of this. So I think it's probably in the earlier part of the film. And I wasn't, I figured it was probably a scene from Endgame because that's kind of what's happened in the past few movies. Like for. They've been a little lazier with them lately, admittedly. <laughs> right. And like, like the. What is it? The one Doctor Strange one is the uh, beginning of Thor Ragnarok. Like, it's the same scene. Yeah. And to a certain extent, it, I'm okay with that because if they're going to have it be like this longer part, more Doctor Strange than in this film, it's like, oh, well, how does this play into it? Because not everyone watches every movie. Not yeah. everyone watches every end scene. So if you're just going to cut that out for those people who didn't watch those, then it's really jarring. So for the fun shawarma scenes, like, of course, we don't need that in the movies. And I don't think we'll get the final, final scene of Goose and the Infinity Stone. I don't think we'll get that in any of the movie. I think that's that's just there for the fans to watch. Yeah, because there's that question of what will they do with the Tesseract? And then, you know, Sam Jackson's Nick Fury is like, oh, we'll figure out what, that out when we uh, find it again, <laughs> kind of thing. Right. And he knows exactly where it is. So I imagine he just walks back into his office after, you know, his meeting or lunch break or wherever he is. And he's just like, oh, okay, so now we have to deal with this. Right. And you don't like, need oh, crap. to see that. 
in order to have it be implied. You kind of know by now if you've watched enough of the movies or even just through watching this one how Nick Fury would react to something like that happening at this point. Right. Exactly. We already it's just a little extra tidbit of this is it gives it a mark on the, you know, the timeline gives you a, a point to mark for this is where this Infinity Stone is at this point in time. Yeah. And that's fun, but it's not necessary to the story by any means. Yeah, exactly. Is there anything else you want to touch on with the story specifically before we dive into how this fits into the MCU and the visuals of the movie? Well, I actually have a great transition for that because I've been watching. I started my rewatch because I'm really going to try to cram in all of it before (laughs) Endgame. And so I've watched through, let's see... And I'm watching it in chronological order this time around, which I've never done. So I've watched Captain America, um, Iron Man, Iron Man 2, and halfway through the first Thor film. And watching them, like, Captain America is less guilty of this, but those early MCU movies are really simple. They are, their origins are very basic and Mm -hmm. take up a huge part of the movie. And it's kind of because I, I watched Captain Marvel and then I came home, wrote my review. And then that night I watched Captain America and I was like, whoa, very <laughs> <These different>. are, <laughs> they are very different movies. And like Captain America's the whole movie is focused on him becoming who he is, finding his place in the world. And then that final battle scene. And that's pretty much it. And it's interesting. And I still liked it. But I was like, they have gone so far in their capabilities of telling stories throughout these movies. And when you watch them so close up, it was very jarring in a good way. It was like, oh, wow, you've really had a lot of growth as storytellers and is a, I guess, as a company for making movies. I guess I would say it's probably Kevin Feige. We'll give it to him (laughs) because he's the one kind of been leading this whole thing the whole time. So that was my transition for us into talking about how this how this movie plays into a weird spot in the MCU. Yeah, it's one of those things where because only a couple of these films have really been in the past, you're like, okay, so clearly this is sort of the start of most of what's to come. You know, we see Nick Fury at the end typing up the Avenger initiative, which is later mentioned in I want to say Iron Man 2. Is that the one that comes before the Avengers? I think they did two Iron Man movies before the Avengers. So that is something that is brought up to Tony in that time period. And you have a long time before that comes to fruition. If this is in 1995 and the Avengers is technically taking place around 2010, 2012, somewhere around there. Mm hmm. It's about right. Because chronologically, if we're going by that system and not like the phase releases or whatever, even though it's for most of them, it, it's pretty much from one movie to the next as the time is progressing. But it's Iron Man and then Iron Man 2 immediately and then Thor and then I think Avengers is next. I don't have my my list in front of me. But time goes pretty quickly. Like it starts out and I think it's in the early 2000s and then it starts tripping along at a good pace. Yeah, it's just amazing that, you know, the Avenger initiative takes 15 plus years to 
really come to life because Fury makes a comment in the movie. He's like, we need more of these people. You know, we need more heroes. And that is solely because he understands now that there are these threats out there in the galaxy that Earth on its own is not remotely prepared for. There's all of this technology that is so much more advanced than what they have in 1995, which is, you know, CD players and ginormous computers. So things hadn't advanced quite as much. And obviously, today, things are advancing at a much faster pace, I would say, just because more people are into the tech industry, and there's more companies and so on and so forth. And I don't think we'll get to Wakanda level technology all that soon. (laughs) But it's one of those things where with the comics, you can do these amazing things with technology and still show how behind some places can be. And while not everyone is going to believe in a lot of the technology that's going on in these movies, there is something to it where, you know, in Europe, medicine seems further along than it does here because they don't have, you know, the FDA or anything over there that is sort of keeping companies in check and they can sort of do more experiments with stuff. You know, athletes will go over to Europe to have certain procedures done because they can't get them done here. So it's just one of those things where there are realistic instances of this stuff, maybe not to that extent. But I think that's something that's interesting to think about, especially as we get a bigger picture of the Marvel universe through these movies. You know, we know there's a lot of cool stuff going on in Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. The collector alone is crazy interesting. Yeah. And we know that S.H.I.E.L.D. has advanced a lot since, you know, the Captain Marvel time period. They have technology that they probably couldn't even dream of. Yeah. (laughs) That whole hover ship that could go under up into the air or down into the ocean or whatever, and it's totally fine. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. The the tech in in these films grows exponentially fast, just like the tech in in current and modern day. But yes, and seeing it, you know, Tony's suits, that was something really crazy I thought about when I watched, you know, his his trials with the first suit and everything that take up a really inordinate amount of time in the first Iron Man movie. And then I think about like, he's just continually been building new suits in all of these. Just yeah, more suits, more suits, more suits until they're capable of doing these crazy, ridiculous things. You know, in the first movie, he can't even go into the atmosphere like the upper layers of the atmosphere without his whole suit freezing and shutting down. And then in the third movie, he has suits that fly themselves. <laughs> right, right. And then we have, you know, the chaos of of Ultron and all of this. And so it's fascinating to see how much they up the ante with every level of tech in a movie, in the movies where tech is a, is a part of it, like in Iron Man and stuff like that. But like in Thor, we don't have that. They very much base how much technology advances depending on what kind of movie it is. Yeah. Like in Guardians, it, they essentially have whatever they want because <laughs> it's co- it's cosmic. But here, like they have to keep ratcheting it up a little bit, a little bit, a little bit until we get to Wakanda where it's just we can do anything, anything at all. <laughs> And it's great, and it works in Wakanda. Then it wouldn't, but that wouldn't work in outside of Wakanda. I think I don't think they could sell that successfully in 
the regular rest of the Marvel Universe. Yeah, so as far as where it falls within the MCU, this really does feel like the start of everything that S.H.I.E.L.D. would become, everything that the heroes would become, even though Captain Marvel has to go away at the end of it. You know, she has this bigger duty to the universe because of what she's capable of. And we see that later on with, you know, the characters in Guardians of the Galaxy or even Thor, who comes from another planet. And it's a lot different than the first Captain America movie where we see how he was experimented on. And he wasn't necessarily built to become a hero. He was built to become a weapon for military use and that sort of thing. So even though S.H.I.E.L.D. could be considered military, I think the Avengers initiative had a different, I guess, intent with how they were going to use it. Yeah. And that is something that obviously Captain America ends up playing into. So it works out for him. But overall, it just felt like a much different take on how a hero is created right how someone comes to be that not only like the nuts and bolts of this is how she gets her powers but this is how someone develops emotionally to become this kind of person and these are the because she's very similar to cap when it comes to and her character like her and steve rogers if they actually get to meet those two will get along I think those two have a lot of things that they see very simply in black and white and how you be a hero and how you look at the world around you and how you deal with, you know, victims in society. And that is something I'm really looking forward to as a quick side note. I'm so excited to see how she interacts with all the other adventures. Yeah, (laughs) that'll just be so fascinating. Because we only do get a clip of it in the mid credit scene. It's like she shows up and they're all like, well, who are you and why are you just now showing up? (laughs) Right. Where's Fury? Cut. I was like, oh, more. I must know more. And yeah, there's just going to be so many new relationships. And the Avengers are kind of an ever, in the comics especially, are like this ever-changing group of people. Like, it's a constellation almost that is constantly changing as individual members come in and out. You know, Hulk leaves and comes back, for leaves for several movies and then comes back. And Thor is periodically in and out. And now Spidey is a new, a new addition. Like, there's so many different groups of people that are now coming together that it changes the dynamic of what's going on yeah the other two i'm the most fascinated to see is how shuri and tony get along because shuri is so much more intelligent than tony and she has no time or patience for for arrogant jerks right one thing i do want to note with that mid-credit scene though is that Captain Marvel has not aged a single day in the last, like, 25 years. Right? (laughs) Yep, she's fine. Same as she ever was. Yeah, and I wonder if it's something similar to Captain America where she just doesn't age like everyone else because of her powers. So that would be interesting if it's, you know, the energy inside her that keeps her looking the same because that's a lot of energy coursing through her. And I think this would be a good place to talk about the visuals we've touched on the de-aging already so i don't think we need to go into that more but just the look of right captain marvel powering up you know at first it's sort of 
not necessarily a flaming fist in the sense that Iron Fist is, <laughs> but right. it's which his isn't really a flame either. But obviously in this movie, it's going to look better than it did in the Netflix show initially right. because different budgets, different people working on it, so on and so forth. But then when she really unleashes all of her power and it's just covering her, I think they gave that to us just enough ahead of time to where when she completely powered up, it wasn't like, oh, okay, we're going here right now. Okay. You could tell they were really building up to it. And I like that they didn't overdo it the entire time. You know, she gets this really big moment at the end where she just gets to go all out and use her powers. And I think that's much better than if she would have just been able to use them right from the start. Yes, I agree. It, it like the storyline, they earn it. They earn that moment at the end through little reveals as she pushes herself further and further and further until she finally, you know, breaks through into this new set of powers that she has. I mean, not they're not new. She's just newly learning how to use them. And I have a question. So was your screening, uh, did you have a problem with the lighting during uh, the ship scenes or was it bright and colorful? No, I think some of them were darker and I think it was on purpose, especially the moment where the scrolls come out from the shadows. You know, yes. that whole scenario was pretty dark because I think they're sort of just trying to keep you wondering what they're going to find on this space station lab, whatever you want to call it. It's right. kind of like what's a, here. It's a ship, but it's a lab. So it's kind of more like a station. And I was like, I don't really know what we're calling this. So we're just going to call it all of the things and have them all covered. But yeah, there were some very dark moments specifically on that ship. Because see, I since I saw it at a press screening and I haven't gone to see it again yet, um, I have a suspicion that they turn the lighting down on those ones that they give out because it makes it really hard for cams and that's their biggest 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 concern especially with the marvel films uh for stopping piracy and that scene was dark yes but i had issues even in the scenes where like she and jude law are fighting in the beginning okay. even those early scenes i'm still like why is this so dark i feel like this shouldn't be this dark so i was wondering if other people had that experience or if it was just because i saw it at a press screening yeah, I don't know. Because I saw it in IMAX, I can't really speak to what it would normally look like in a regular showing. So, yes, you know, yes. I think... and I saw it in IMAX, too. Oh, okay. so that was the even more surprising part, because I was like, usually it's a lot brighter in here. So I only really remember the darker scenes on the ship when the scrolls start coming out and you have that whole mysterious thing going on like oh what's here what are we going to find and then okay. it's like super bright when the tesseract comes in yes okay good so i think it was that i think it was that then because i was like is it just me but then i saw other uh press talking about the same issue but then since it actually released in theaters i haven't seen any of those complaints right so i'm assuming it was just a a anti-piracy tactic, which Disney is very into. I will say that. Yeah. I think it's just one of those things where sometimes I feel like scenes are a little too dark, but they do it on purpose. So yeah. it, it's one of those things where if you don't see it twice, you can't really tell the difference yourself <laughs> if right. you're, you're not in the room twice for it. So I don't know if you have the time to go see it at IMAX again, maybe you could be like, oh, oh yes. okay, this is what oh, happened. Yes. <laughs> I'm taking my son to it um, next week, probably. Perfect. Yes, it was. 
I couldn't not go see this one again. This one. And this Ragnarok, Black Panther, and Infinity War, I have seen twice in theaters every time because I was like, this is just too good. I have to see it again because it's it really draws you in and you want to see all those little bits and pieces that you missed the first time while you're just like, oh, I'm just taking in the story and all that. And then the second time through, you get to notice things. So I'm very excited to watch it again. Yeah. I told myself I was going to go see Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse again in theaters and I never got around to it. So I don't want to say I will for sure go see this again in theaters, (laughs) but it's something I would consider. But there's so much coming out in the next couple months yes. here where I'm like March is okay big. there is a lot in March there's a lot going on in April and I am a very happy comic book fan because we get Captain Marvel Shazam and Endgame all within like an eight-week period <laughs> yes yes it's a good it's a good time to be a comic fan because and they've all it all feels like they've hit their stride you know DC is finally finally changed its course a little bit and I've heard this I've heard Shazam is going to be a lot of fun from the critics I know who've already seen it. So I'm. Um, it's going to be a good couple months for comic movies. Yeah, definitely. Well, are there any final thoughts you have on this movie? I know we've been talking for about an hour here, but I always feel like there's something that I'm leaving unsaid in these episodes. I know. Because so much happened in this. Yes. And they cram it in. It's cram-packed with story. And I loved that part of it. That was something I was really hoping for. It wouldn't be this slow progression. Um, But I think we've covered most of it. Not everything, because we really didn't go into... We had some spoilers here, but there were some stuff we really left left on the floor for those folks who don't want to know everything, but are okay with some spoilers. So We basically spoiled the plot. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. But not everything of the plot. So, and I'll leave a little bit there for people who haven't seen it yet. But yeah, yeah, I think this movie was so good. It's so much fun. It is definitely not a perfect film, but no Marvel movie is a perfect film. Not even my most beloved Ragnarok directed by Taika Waititi is a perfect film. So it does a great job with what it's trying to do. Brie Larson is fabulous. Yeah, I do want to quickly note that I really like the planes and ships that they use in this because they do give you a good look at, you know, what the Air Force has versus what these other galaxies have available to them. It is a stark difference. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, you know, some of the humor worked well for me. The You're My Science Guy line was great delivery from Ben (laughs) Mendelsohn. And, you know, some of it like I said earlier, did feel shoehorned in. And I think that's why I wasn't as high on this movie as you were, but I really did have fun with it. I don't think, you know, a seven out of 10 is necessarily a horrendous rating for a movie, you know, to me, that's, it's a good movie. I had fun. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yep. that's what that's it is. That's a good rating. It's a fresh, certainly a fresh, not a, not a rotten we'll say. <laughs> yeah. And I do think a lot of people are going to, enjoy this you obviously have those people who won't because oh no female superheroes (laughs) but yep exactly and then don't watch it and don't pay money for it and go see something else shazam's coming out did we mention that yeah (laughs) Yeah. and that movie is all about men and boys and that's fine and i'm still excited to see it even though it is about men and boys okay (laughs) yeah it's more fun though (laughs) yes yes definitely 
And I do think because Captain Marvel is going to play a bigger role in the MCU going forward, this was sort of the perfect time to introduce her. If you would have tried to introduce her sooner and had her be part of the Avengers and everything like that, I feel like that would have felt even more disjointed because you already have these amazing characters who can do so much. And to have Tony and Carol sort of butting heads as I imagine they would (laughs) because they do in the comics as well, but they still work together in the comics. It's just one of those things where I think you have to have the right group of people. And I don't know if Carol would have fit in well with that particular group. Obviously, things are going to change with the Avengers and there's going to be more of a focus on, I believe, Captain Marvel, Doctor Strange, Spider-Man, as long as Disney can keep him, and Black Panther. So you have those characters and the supporting cast that comes with them, I imagine, who will be featured even more going forward. And all of those characters were fairly recently introduced within the last three or four years, really. So it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward. But I think this was a good way to get people to understand who Carol is before she just pops up in Endgame and hopefully solves all of the problems. Right. And don't forget, Disney bought Fox. So we get X-Men, Fantastic Four, and Deadpool are all coming to the Marvel Universe near you. So they're, they've now got a whole shit ton of new people that they can bring in and the new kind of stories they can tell. And I think it's going to get bigger. Yeah. I think Cap and Tony and them like are really good at dealing with Earth-sized problems, but they are not good at dealing with outsized earth problems so i think we'll get to see bigger characters being brought into this because the x-men do get into the cosmic timeline you know oh yeah pretty regularly you know look at jean gray we've got you know the dark phoenix is a whole possibility even though i know they're doing that movie right now but we'll see we'll see (laughs) yeah Yeah. we'll see how that goes i was pretty excited for new mutants but i don't know if that's still going to end up happening because that was like a horror x-men film and i was like yes Yes. this is so right up my alley but you know with the buyout and everything we'll see what actually goes down but i'm still very excited about superhero movies Mm, me too well katie thank you so much for coming on to talk about this so soon after we both saw it i know we were going to actually try and move it up because we were pretty excited to discuss it but that didn't work out and that's totally fine. Everyone will still be hearing this relatively soon after the movie is released because for once I did things in a timely manner. (laughs) Yes, it was great talking to you about it and I hope everybody who listens enjoyed their time with us. As always, you can find us on Twitter at GeekdomPod, Instagram, Welcome to Geekdom. You can also find us on Facebook if that's a thing you're still doing. And thank you all for listening and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.